Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty sizzling to perfection? It's time to cheer for Egg McMuffin and fresh cracked eggs at McDonald's. It's time to wake up to the aroma of freshly baked biscuits and treat yourself to a real honest-to-goodness morning meal. Breakfast, it's on at McDonald's. Now get any breakfast sandwich for just 2 bucks. Available only through the app. Mobile order and pay available at participating McDonald's. McD app download and registration required. Switch to Spectrum Mobile and get unlimited data for only $29.99 per month each when you get two or more lines. You could save hundreds on your mobile bill. Plus, there are no added taxes, hidden fees, and no contracts. Click to try the Spectrum Mobile Savings Calculator, and in three easy steps, you'll see how much you could save. Visit SpectrumMobile.com slash save. Offer valid for new customers on two or more unlimited lines. Spectrum Internet required. Restrictions apply. Visit SpectrumMobile.com for details. My name is Glenn Blakeney, and tonight we are continuing in the Discipleship Unit, session number three on the topic of healing the soul. It's going to be a great time of teaching, and I know you're going to be blessed and you're going to be challenged. So get ready to take notes, have your Bible out, and uh, we're, going to con- we're going to look through this particular session. But let's pray first, okay? Father, we just thank you for the Holy Spirit that teaches us and guides us into all truth. You told us that we are to have ears to hear what the Spirit says. So, Lord, help us to understand by your Spirit the truth that you want us to appropriate for our lives. I pray, Lord, that your presence and your anointing would be here as this word goes forth and that each and every one of us would not only be hearers but doers of your word so we would be blessed to be a blessing to others. In the name of Jesus, we all said amen, amen. Well, thank you again, guys. We tonight are going to be looking at the topic of healing the soul. This is session number three in the discipleship unit. And I just want to start off by saying and establishing the fact that the Bible teaches that we are tripartite beings. Now, what that means is that we have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. There are some that would say that we are bipart beings, that we have a spirit and a soul and a body, but our spirit and soul, they're really synonymous. It's one and the same thing. But the scripture does make a distinction between the spirit and the soul. Now, just look with me at two specific verses. First one is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Paul is praying for the believers in Thessalonica, and he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another translation says, may your spirit, soul, and body be entirely sanctified or wholly sanctified. W-H-O-L-L-Y. Another scripture, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick, or it's alive. It's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So clearly we see the um, distinction that is made here between spirit, soul, and body. In the latter verse in Hebrews 4.12, he talks about spirit and soul and then he speaks of joints and marrow, which refer to the body. So we are tripart being. We have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. It's very interesting. We know that God 
is actually three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're created in the image and likeness of God, so it's a reflection of who He is, the fact that we have a spirit, a soul, and a body. Now, the Bible says that when we come to Christ, when we receive the gospel message, we embrace it in faith, we repent that something wonderful happens. It's called regeneration, also known as the new birth. And the scriptural precedent for this is found in John chapter 3, verse 3, where Jesus said that unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And the moment we are born again, what happens is we become a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So what does it mean to become a new creation? It's very, very important that we understand that. Again, referring to Jesus' discourse or his dialogue, actually, with Nicodemus, as recorded in John chapter 3. You know, Jesus says to him, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Now, obviously, when he speaks of being born again, this is not a reference to something physical. You know, Nicodemus asks Jesus, he said, what do you mean by being born again? Can I, you know, enter into my mother's womb and be born once more? And Jesus' response is absolutely amazing. He says this in verse number th six of John three, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The New Living Translation renders it this way. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So therein lies the key of what it means to be a new creation in Christ. We're talking about newness of life, which is spiritual life. When we are born again, we are actually born from above. In the original language, the word that is translated again in John 3, verse 3, can be better rendered born from above or from a higher place. That's what it literally means. It refers to that which comes from heaven, that which comes from God. So we're born from above. We're born from the heavenly realm. We're born of the Spirit. The third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, takes up his official residence in us when we are born again. And I love what it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Paul says, we receive newness of life. Newness of life. The Greek root word for newness is kahinos. And it literally conveys the idea of something never before seen. Something unprecedented. It speaks of newness in quality, not in time. You know, someone once asked Reinhard Bonnke an interesting question. They said, Mr. Bonnke, can God unscramble scrambled eggs? Referring to the fact that can God take a life that's just been messed up? You know, can God take the mistakes we made from the past and turn it around? And the response that Reinhard Bonnke gave was priceless. He said, God does not need to unscramble scrambled eggs. God gives you a new egg. <laughs> so the idea is exactly what that word means, kahinos in, 
in Greek. It speaks of new in the sense of not an upgrade, you know, not like a car that you would, you know, polish, you would clean it and you'd say, wow, the car looks new. It, it's not like that at all. It's, it's not an improvement. It's, it's actually speaking of a replacement. So God gives us new life. It's a brand new life. It's not anything that we've ever experienced before when we turn to him. I love what it says in Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27. This is a prophecy. It's found in the Old Testament speaking of the new covenant. When Messiah would come, when Yeshua HaMashiach would come, there would be a new covenant. That new covenant would be ratified because of his death. So it would be written in his blood. And what happens, he says, is God in the new covenant will give his people a new heart and he will put a new spirit within them. He says, the Lord says, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So this newness of life is God's spirit in us. God's spirit working in us both to will and to do his good pleasure is what it's speaking of, that we now have a new starting point. And from that place of being a new creation, we can actually begin to live a new life. Out of that very nature of God that is in us, we can do these things. Ephesians 4.24 says, when we are born again, says that we should put, after we're born again, we put on the new man. This is what it says, which was, notice that, created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. The new man was created, past tense, pointing to that time when we were born again. A new man was created in us. And who is that new man, that new nature? That new nature is God in us. It's his divine nature. Second Peter 1 4 says we become partakers of the divine nature. And what happens is out of that, we actually are able to live a life that's pleasing to God. So this new man or this new nature, this was created according to God or after the image of God. Now remember in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, man is created in the image and likeness of God, but because of sin, he falls short of the glory of God. Jesus comes thousands of years later to restore what was lost, Luke 19, 10. And then what does Jesus do? He restores the original identity that, and it says here in Ephesians 4 that we are created or could mean recreated according to the very image of God and true righteousness and holiness. Think about it. God is living in us by his Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, he has no personal sin issues to overcome. So wherein lies the problem? What's, where's the tension? You know, we're born again, but then there's this tension. And I refer to the words of John G. Lake in his sermon, his famous sermon called Triune Salvation. Triune Salvation speaking of spirit, soul, and body, that salvation is for our entire person, all three parts of us. This is what he says. People wonder why, after having given their hearts to God and having received a witness of the Spirit, they are troubled with evil desires and tempted in evil ways. The nature, meaning our nature, 
has three departments, and therefore the surrender of the Spirit to God is not all that He demands. God also demands the mind and the body. John G. Lake was saying that God doesn't only require the surrender of our spirit, but of our soul and our body as well. What a profound truth, something that we need to understand. You see, when you were born again, the Bible is clear that our spirit was made perfect. Hebrews 12, verse 23, speaks of the spirits of just men made perfect, meaning those who've been made just or justified by Jesus' death and resurrection, that their spirits were made perfect. Our spirit was made perfect, but our soul and our body are not perfect. We know in 1 Corinthians 15 that when Jesus returns one day, that our bodies will be resurrected, that mortality will be swallowed up by immortality. This is when Jesus said the final enemy to be defeated is death. So one day we will have new bodies that will never get old. They're immortal. They're incorruptible. They'll never wear out. So praise God that he has that covered for our bodies. But then let's talk about our soul. Our soul is the part of us which gives us personality. Our soul, John G. Lake uh, uses the term departments, but let's just say our soul has three major categories. There is our mind, our will, and our emotions. Now think about your mind. What an amazing uh, part of who you are. Your mind, experts say, actually has a conscious and a subconscious component. These two, you know, what he's speaking of are not actually two separate minds, but two components, two, two aspects. So it speaks of the parts of the mind. The conscious mind is what we use to rationalize with and to analyze. In other words, it's the part of the mind where we do our thinking and reasoning. The subconscious mind is where our deep beliefs and attitudes are seated. It's also where our feelings and our emotions are based and also where we retain our memories. It's amazing. Our will, we have a mind, a will, and emotions. Our will is what gives us volition. We get to choose. You know, in the very beginning, Adam and Eve had a choice. Would they obey God and not eat of the uh, one fruit that he said was off limits. They had a choice. So God has given us a will, volition, the ability to make choices to render judgments. So our mind, our will, and our emotions, our emotions are that part that really are connected based to what we, um, you know, things we perceive, things we feel, sentiments, um, affections, all of that. We feel certain things. Um, that particular aspect of our emotions, if someone hurts us, if we experience something you know, that, that is um, joyful to us, emotionally we can be moved. Um, you know how that works. But, so our mind and our will and our emotions are connected through, to our body, actually, through our endocrine, our nervous, and our immune systems. So the mind and the body are actually communicating constantly. I've done a little bit of reading on this, and I found out 
Uh, and this is what is actually written by Herbert Benson, a medical doctor who's from the Benson and Henson Institute for Mind-Body Medicine, says this, the mind and the body communicate constantly. What the mind thinks, perceives, and experiences is sent from the brain to the rest of the body. So it's an amazing thing. Our soul, our mind, our emotions, and our will, that is definitely has an influence on our body in a, both a positive way or in a negative way. Now, our spirit, our spirit is where we discern what is right and wrong. It's the part of us that interacts with God himself. We could say that the spirit is the place of rendezvous between God and men. The spirit is the meeting place between humankind and, and God himself. And the word says this in Romans 8, 16, that the spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So God is the spirit. We're clearly told that in John chapter 4, verse 24. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And in that place where we worship God in the spirit, there is something that takes place that is just, it's indescribable. It's something amazing. And it's a connection. It's a place where we come together and God communicates to us. We communicate to him. And we become one with him is what it actually says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. That when we're born again, we become one in spirit with him. It's absolutely astonishing. We're not really capable of wrapping our minds around this fully. But it's something that the word says is a reality for those who've been born again. Now, those who do not know the Lord, those who have not been born again, they've not been regenerated they do not have this connection with God. Their spirit, Ephesians 2 verse 2 says, they're dead, is dead in trespass and sins. So they're not able to have this connection with God. But understand this, that there's a very real connection between the health of our spirit to our soul and the health of our soul to our bodies. Our spiritual health will have a significant impact upon our emotional well-being. And our emotional well-being will have a significant impact on our physical health. In 3 John, the first chapter, verse 2, John prays this. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So the inference here is that if our soul's prospering, that we'll prosper in all ways. We'll be in health. And we know that this is true in, in the medical world. There's been studies that have proven this beyond a shadow of doubt. I want to quote from um, a doctor whose name is Kenneth Pauche. He was the associate clinical professor at the University of California School of Medicine. This is what he says. Psychological factors, stress in particular, are being recognized as a major contributing factor in what we often see as chronic degenerative disease. By this, I mean such conditions as heart disease, arthritis, depressive conditions, and even cancer. Stress for a period of time is fine. However, if it becomes protracted, the result can be tachycardia. Tachycardia is when the heart beats faster. It's, the heart, you know, 
when it's resting, it obviously slows down. But a person who has tachycardia, their heart beats faster than normal while at rest, actually. And if this condition is left untreated, it can disrupt the normal heart function and lead to serious complications, including heart failure, stroke, sudden cardiac arrest, or even death. Now, the Bible has understood for thousands of years what modern medical experts and social scientists have just confirmed in recent times, that good physical health is contingent upon sound emotions, mind, that we, if we're in good, if, we're, if our soul is in health, if our soul is prospering, in other words, that our body will also prosper. There's much greater chance. In fact, there's some studies, and I was just reading um, recently in a book by Dr. Caroline Leaf, where she said that um, there have been studies done that speak that up over 85% into the 90s percent uh, is of diseases can be attributed to what's going on in our mind and our emotions. And primarily, it goes back to our mind, the very thoughts that we think. It's an amazing thing. So when we, when our soul is, is healthy, when our soul is prospering, in other words, then we prosper as well. We can experience healing. In fact, there's been clear um, you know, studies done where People who were dealing with a lot of stress, they removed the stress and they recovered from physical conditions. And time after time, um, this has been val validated and verified. So let's just recap. First of all, we understand that when we're born again, our spirit is made perfect. Our body will be made perfect at the resurrection when Jesus returns. But our soul is currently in the workshop of God. Our soul, even though God has done something that has impacted our spirit, our soul is actually in a process of becoming more and more sanctified. Let's look at a scripture that bears this out. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by one offering, referring to Jesus' death, he has perfected forever. Notice that. He's perfected forever by one offering. Those who are being sanctified. So by one offering, by his death, Jesus has paid the price to make us perfect. But then notice he uses the word being sanctified. In the original Greek, it literally just says sanctified, but it's in the present tense, which means it's continuous. It's an ongoing thing. So we're made perfect. Clearly, that's our spirit. But we're being sanctified. That is our, that's our soul. Our soul is being sanctified. The work of the Holy Spirit is to bring us. We already looked at this in the beginning. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, that the God of peace would sanctify us wholly not only our spirit, but our soul and our body. So we would be entirely righteous and holy before Jesus when he returns. That's what the ideal is about. Now, what ends up happening is when we engage and we cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, remember, says in Philippians 2, verse 13, God is working in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. The New Living Translation says he's at work in us, giving us both the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's amazing. 
the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So we have to submit to God. And as we do, and we yield to the work of the Holy Spirit, what will happen is we will find that our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, we become increasingly sanctified. In other words, made holy and increasingly more and more like Jesus. Our template, so to speak, is to be like Jesus when he was on the earth. And that's not just in terms of healing the sick or preaching the gospel, but that's to live like he lived in 1 John 2, 6. That means we love the way he loved. We show patience to people the way he did. You know, we, we are long-suffering. We're not bitter. We're just, you know, walking in, in the peace of God. And that can only happen as we yield to the work of the Holy Spirit who's sanctifying us in our soul level. It's very, very important. So the Holy Spirit is at work trying to bring healing to us in order to make us whole. And, you know, as much as we love to see the Lord heal broken bodies, we must realize that our souls also need healed. There are broken people, the many people that are broken, their souls need healing. And there are two primary reasons why people experience defilement and wounding in the area of their soul. Let me just say it again. Two primary reasons why people experience defilement, hurt, pain, that actually turns into a deep-rooted woundedness in their soul. And that is, are you ready? Number one, sin. Number two is trauma. Let's talk about sin, first of all. Sin is when we make a choice to violate God's commands, God's plan, His purpose, His boundaries for our life, so to speak. You know, when we talk about the Ten Commandments, you know, some people look at the Ten Commandments as if God's intention for giving them was to restrict their lifestyle and make them miserable. But the truth is it's to protect us. They're like boundaries. You know, they're like guardrails to keep us from going off the, the, the cliff, the mountain. And someone has said that the Ten Commandments are really the tender commandments. They're God saying, hey, you know what? I've given you this because I'm, 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 these Ten Commandments to protect you. You know, and the fact is, when we commit sin, personal acts of sin, when we hurt others, when we engage in um, toxic relationships, when we are toxic, when we are dysfunctional, when we commit adultery, um, when a person, you know, does drugs, steals from someone, um, attacks someone, all of these things not only wound the person that they are attacking, but it also leaves wounds in them. And the Bible says that when we sin, we actually fall short of the glory of God. That means there's something missing in us. We are, there's, there's a void in our lives. There's just something, a vacuum, and we just don't feel fulfilled. We just can't while we're living in sin. But God says that he wants to bring healing to our soul after we sin. And I want you to think about David. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then eventually he had her husband, Uriah, killed, later on he wrote two psalms. One is found in the 51st chapter. It's a, you know, a confession, God forgive me, and so on. But he also wrote Psalm 38, and the latter is lesser known. Uh, many people don't realize that Psalm 38 was also written as a result of David committing adultery with Bathsheba and having her husband uh, killed. And in Psalm 38, David says this in verse 4 and 5 and 8. Listen to this. 
For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they're too heavy for me. My wounds, we're talking about wounds, are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Wow, look what David says here. He said, you know, my iniquities have gone over my head. They're like a heavy burden. Uh, I'm wounded. It's like a wound that is foul and festering. He says, I'm feeble and I'm severely broken. And then he says, I'm groaning because of the turmoil of my heart. And the word heart there speaks of the soul. In Psalm 41, verse 4, David laments and he cries out, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. Heal my soul, for I sinned against you. So praise God that there is healing for our souls. I love this. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 26. This is the Amplified Bible. The Lord is speaking to Israel about how he's going to regather them after the exile and reestablish them in their land, and he would bring healing to them. But because of the rebellion and sin, they were going to go into captivity. But here's what he says. Moreover, the light of the moon will be like the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold, like the light of seven days, concentrated in one, is actually what the Amplified says. Now, he's talking about how he's going to bring a fresh revelation of himself. And that revelation would be something that surpasses anything that they've ever experienced. I believe it's referring to the new covenant, actually. The light of the moon will be like the light of the sun and the light of the sun. You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change, like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on, and Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. And will be seven times brighter, in other words. Obviously, in the natural, that can't happen. We'd all die. We'd be burnt up. But he's saying in the spirit, God is going to do this work where he reveals himself with such power and such purity and intensity that it's going to um, actually bring healing to his people. Because it actually says this, and as you continue to read, In the day that the Lord binds up the hurt of his people and heals their wound, and it says in the Amplified that the wound was inflicted by him, meaning the Lord, because of their sins. God says, this wound is because you have gone against my word. You violated my ways and their consequences. Not only what it does to other people, but what it does to you. Sin separates you from God. Sin uh, creates a woundedness in your soul. And when a person is wounded as a result of sin, what ends up happening is often they make unwise decisions and they get in, you know, um, relationships they shouldn't. They do things that, that actually begin destroying their lives. So it's, it's just a vicious cycle, you know. The person who is hurt ends up hurting other people. Now the second reason why we experience and can experience woundedness in our soul is trauma. And trauma, again, uh, not just the personal things that we do. I'm not, I've covered that. The personal things to sin, you know, whether it's against someone else or even if we sin 
You know, the Bible says that sexual immorality actually is a sin against our own body. And it certainly does affect the soul as well. Because even though I didn't say this earlier, there's an overlap here. Not only is our spirit healthy, will it help our soul to be healthy? And if our soul is healed and healthy, will it affect our physical health? But conversely, if your soul is toxic, uh, it can have a negative effect upon your body and even in your spirit. It actually says that in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, that our spirit can also be defiled. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. It's just worth looking at very quickly here. And there's such, um, you know, just an overlap in how this all works. The Amplified, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Therefore, since these great promises are ours, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates and defiles body and spirit and bring our consecration to completeness and the reverential fear of God. So there are things that not only contaminate you know, the body, like sexual immorality is very clear, but there are things that contaminate our spirit as well. So even though our spirit was made perfect, it can still be contaminated by our soul because there's just this communication and this overlap and this constant exchange that's going on. A trauma is when someone, for example, um, wounds us. They attack us. They gossip. Um, they assault us. They abuse us. They take advantage of us, whatever it may be. You know, it might be someone close to you, you know, being in a marriage and he ended up being uh, abused and abandoned perhaps, or a person was um, divorced and they didn't see it coming and they were just forsaken by their spouse. That's a terrible thing and it can cause trauma. And if that trauma is not dealt with, it can actually result in a wound that festers and, and ends up uh, uh, turning into spiritual gangrene, so to speak. It's a terrible thing. Um, you may have a, a child that ended up you know, going in such rebellion that you know, they got involved in drugs and, and just things that happen, they steal from you, they've, they've done these terrible things, and that just has brought such pain and trauma to your life. Other things that bring trauma, a car accident, a business failure, you know, a long-term health crisis, all of this can bring trauma to our lives. I want you to think about someone who experienced the ultimate um, you know, traumatization, if there is such a word, and that is Job. Think about Job, wow. His servants were killed. He lost all of his wealth. His children were killed as a roof collapsed upon them. He was struck with sickness. There were boils all over his body. And then, while he's going through all of this, he has to deal with three of his closest friends falsely accusing him. Wow, what an hard to believe the things that he went through. And you know, if you read the book of Job, you hear him say constantly, my soul is vexed. My soul is in great pain. My soul is, is uh, sorrowful, is what he was saying, in other words. Even Jesus dealt with trauma and the possibility of woundedness in his soul when he faced the reality of taking our sins upon himself. In Matthew 26, verse 38, when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point of death. Now, I'm not saying that we um, 
it, it's, it, it's wrong to feel pain, you know, because that's not the case. Obviously, God created us with the faculties and, and the capacity to be able to experience pain. It's not the pain itself. It's because that's a reality. Even God experiences pain when we sin against him. Do you know that? God himself experiences a certain level of pain when his people sin against him. Let me read to you from Ezekiel chapter 6, verse 9. The Lord says, I was crushed by their adulterous heart, which has departed from me, and by their eyes, which play the harlot after their idols. I was crushed, he says, by their hearts, their adulterous hearts. You know, so God is using it as like a man who was in a relationship, a person who was in a relationship, a woman with a husband perhaps, and, and that person ends up taking off, leaving them, committing adultery, and you know, how their heart would be crushed. And God says that's how he feels. So there's nothing wrong with feeling pain. You know, we all experience that. God himself experiences that. The issue is to not allow this pain to become a wound. And if it has resulted in woundedness, to not allow it to fester and defile us, but rather to be healed. It's actually attainable. It's actually conceivable that we can become so strong in our faith that when people speak unkind words to us, when they, they do things against us, persecute us, for example, for the sake of Christ, that we don't get offended, um, we, we don't get wounded, we don't get hurt, but it's kind of like water off a duck's back. Because this is the way Jesus was, wasn't it? When he was on the cross, knowing what had happened, how he was betrayed, how they turned against him, crucify him, they yelled out. And yet Jesus says to his father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. I'm not saying he didn't feel pain, but what I'm saying is he didn't allow it to become a deep root in his life. He didn't allow it to wound him. And he actually released that so that it didn't fester in his life. It's an amazing thing. Now, let me say, if you have experienced um, trauma, if you have made choices in life that have to do with disobedience to God, you've willfully sinned and done things, and it's created pain in your life, maybe uh, not just because of what you've done, but also maybe the people's lives that you've impacted, there's healing. You know, not only are you forgiven when you come to Jesus, but there's actually healing. If people have attacked you, if people have hurt you, if you've gone through circumstances that just left you traumatized, there's healing in the name of Jesus. And the reason why we're dealing with this topic so early in discipleship is because we cannot go forth and minister if we are a broken people. You know, in the last session, we dealt with the fact that God needs to mend us so that we can be sent out. And you know, we cannot effectively minister to others if we're toxic, if we're uh, wounded. God has to bring that healing to us so we can go forth and exemplify and model to others and we can minister out of clean flowing waters that bring healing and not toxic putrefied waters. So it's very important that we deal with this stuff in our life. So important. 
And so we, we recognize that God is a healer, not only for our spirit, not only can, does he heal our bodies, but he wants to heal our souls. Psalm 147, verse 2 and 3, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. Aren't you glad that God builds up his people? He gathers together the outcasts. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Wow. Praise God. You know, the word salvation actually is the Greek word soteria. That's a noun. Now, the verb, the action word, is sozo. I want to just walk through what that word actually means in terms of the full implications of our salvation, what Jesus did at the cross. And the Bible does say in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, that it is a great salvation. That means it's a mega salvation. It actually is an amazing salvation. And it really is what Jesus did at the cross. Salvation, one of the most interesting definitions of the word soteria, is that it means freedom from the assaults or the harassment of an enemy. Freedom from the uh, assault or the harassment of an enemy. If an enemy's been attacking you, if he's been trying, causing trauma, he's been wounding you, God says, I will bring freedom and I'll bring healing. Let's look at Luke chapter 1 verse 74 and verse number 75. And he's prophesying here, the father of John the Baptist, that when Jesus comes, when the Messiah shows up, he would grant us that we would be delivered from the hand of our enemies so that we might serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. In other words, that our souls wouldn't be bound by fear. Our souls wouldn't be bound by you know, bitterness or anything else, but we would be able to serve God as a people that have been healed, as a people that are whole in holiness and in righteousness. And he says, all the days of our life. Let's look at some examples of the word sozo. Again, soteria is the noun, sozo is the verb, the action word. The word sozo speaks of the forgiveness of sin how God wants to bring forgiveness of sin to us. The word sozo, before I look at this definition of forgiveness of sin, actually means to heal, to save, to rescue, to deliver, to make whole. It can mean all, all uh, those different definitions. So forgiveness of sin, speaking of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, saying to Mary, you will have a son and you're to name him Jesus, Yeshua. For he will save his people from their sins. He will sozo his people from their sins. Not that he would save them in their sins, but he would actually save them. He would rescue them. He would heal them from their sins. And not only what sins, uh, you know, in terms of the bondage of sin, uh, the things that sin takes us captive to do against God's plan and purpose for our lives and even against our will, but also the consequences of sin, which continues. The word sozo can actually speak of being healed or delivered from demons, from demonic oppression, from demonization, from these things. So when we sin often, not always, I'm not saying the only reason for people needing set free from demons is because of personal sin, but 
Often, we've opened a door to the enemy and we've given them legal access into our lives. But Jesus came to deliver people or to set people free from the demonic powers of the enemy. So Luke chapter 8, verse 36, they also who had seen it told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. The word healed there is sozo. Wow, it's amazing. So sozo includes forgiveness of sin, healing or deliverance from demons. Thirdly, the, heal, the healing of sickness and disease. James chapter 5, verse 15. The prayer of faith shall save the sick, shall sozo the sick. A prayer of faith shall sozo the sick person. Wow. Let's look at the last area because so far what we're dealing with here has to do with our spirit, has to do with our bodies, and certainly demonic effects our bodies and our soul as well. But the last area is really relevant to our soul. In fact, it's, it's entirely focused on the healing of the soul. James chapter 1, verse 21. The Bible says there, now remember, this is written to Christians. James is writing to Christians. He says, you are to receive with meekness the implanted word. Now, receive with meekness, with, with humility, with the teachable spirit, the word that is implanted, the word that's in you. Well, non-believers don't have the word in them. So it's us because we're born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God. So the word is in us. So receive with meekness the implanted word, this is what he says, which is able to sozo or save your souls. This implanted word is able to sozo or save your soul. The word soul is a Greek word from which we get our English word um, psychology. So it's suke, and it speaks of the soul. And he's saying that God, through his redemptive work, through his son Jesus, is able to bring healing to our minds, to our will, to our emotions. You know, some people say they can't control their, their will. They're just, and you know, to our emotions, to woundedness. To, to things that we do whenever you, you think of something. And some people constantly just, they can't control their anger, you know, their fear, they're just tormented by fear. And, and that's something that they need healing from. The Bible says God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And also having to deal with our thought life, you know, things from the past that torment us, um, constant negative thinking, you know, patterns and strongholds in our mind that are just holding us back, they're unhealthy, God is able to bring healing. Now, how does that happen? How do we receive healing for our soul? He specifically says, through the Word of God. So it's very, very important that we understand that. We'll talk more about that in just a few moments. Let's look at um, something amazing related to redemption, to, to the price that God paid on the cross for our salvation. Matthew chapter 8, Verse 16 and 17, Jesus is going around healing the sick and casting out demons. It says here, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. And he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed, he sozoed, all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So Isaiah says, he's quoting Isaiah, and he's saying that this is to fulfill what Jesus was doing, was to fulfill what Isaiah prophesied, 
that he took up our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. The verse that Matthew is pointing back to is found in the book of Isaiah, obviously in the Old Testament, is chapter 53, verse number four. And when you read it, this is what it says. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Very interesting. There seems to be on the surface a discrepancy here between Matthew's wording and that of Isaiah. Matthew says that Jesus carried our sicknesses. Isaiah says it was our sorrows. So what's, what's the deal here? What's up? Well, the fact is there is no contradiction here. The Hebrew word here in Isaiah, actually in Isaiah's text, means to feel pain. And it can be used of literal pain or figuratively of emotional pain. So it includes pain in every way, whether it's pain in our body or pain in our soul, that Jesus came to set us free from that pain. I want you to, you've been reading Bill Johnson's book, When Heaven Invades Earth, and page 32 of that book, uh, Bill says this, and I'm quoting, the gospel of salvation, now this is on the older, um, the older version of the book, so I'm not sure if it's page 32 in your book, but it says the gospel of salvation is to touch the whole man, spirit, soul, and body. John G. Lake called this a triune salvation. A study on the word evil confirms the intended reach of his redemption. That word is found in Matthew 6, verse 13, where Jesus said, we are to pray, deliver us from evil. The word evil represents the entire curse of sin upon man, poneros, which is the Greek word that speaks of sin. But it comes from a word that speaks of pain. And then that word actually comes from another word which refers to poverty. So look at it this way. Evil, sin, pain, sickness, poor poverty. Jesus came to destroy the power of sin, sickness, and poverty through his redemptive work on the cross. In Adam and Eve's commission to subdue the earth, they were without sickness, poverty, and sin. Now that we are restored to his original purpose, should we expect anything less? After all, this is called a better covenant. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? Praise God for our salvation that covers our spirit, our soul, and our body. Well, let's finish this lesson tonight by looking at some practical steps to bring healing to our soul. And some of this is spiritual and some of it's just things that we can do in our own life. So let's look at the first one. The first one is to eliminate as much as you can, as much as possible, sources that are causing woundedness in your life. Now, obviously I'm saying as much as possible because the only way we'll experience no more pain is if we leave this world, if we go to be with the Lord. But personal things, sin, you know, committing sin, doing sin, um, being in abusive relationships. You do not need, no one needs to stay in an abusive relationship. I'm not saying you divorce, I'm just saying that you get out of there. For people that are in um, situations, you know, where relationships are, are just, you know, toxic, they're obsessive compulsive or whatever it may be, you know, there's, there's 
the whole thing with with people just needing you know to be in relationships and so they end up connecting with people they shouldn't people that are unhealthy themselves and and uh, that whole thing is is just a terrible thing so what ends up we need to do is we need to have boundaries in our relationships healthy boundaries you know sometimes we need to bring confrontation to people we just need to talk say look this is bothering me i don't like what you're doing i don't like what you did and we deal we put up boundaries important boundaries and the bible says we have to speak the truth in love and when we deal with the whole aspect of a culture of honor you'll understand that in a culture of honor people speak the truth to one another and people really no one gets offended you know even if someone is falsely accusing you um, you know you walk through it you work through it because in that culture of honor where people respect one another it's certainly at the very best the very worst it's just a mistake an error if someone really is got a heart for the Lord and wanting to honor you. So eliminate as much as possible sources that cause wounding. Secondly, strengthen your inner man or your spirit. The stronger your spirit is, the stronger your soul and body will become. Our spiritual health has a significant impact on our emotional health and even our physical health and of course our emotional health if we're healthy emotionally, we'll have a significant impact on our physical health as well. So strengthen your inner man. Ephesians 3.16, that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So how are we strengthened in the inner man? Through his spirit. What does that mean? It means by the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? Well, it says he who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself or strengthens himself. Pray in the spirit. Spend much time in prayer. Use the gift of tongues in your personal devotions. Do that and you're going to strengthen your inner man. Very, very important. Worship God. You know, Go to church. Sit under the anointing and that will cause your, your inner man to become stronger. Thirdly, ask God to heal your soul. You know, It seems like that maybe is, is uh, uh, overstated, but it's not. You know, The reality is we need to ask. We have not because we ask not. If you have a woundedness in you, if there's pain, if there's anger, if there's bitterness, if you're dealing with fear in your life, ask God to bring healing to your soul. You know, they, David cried out, heal my soul, God, you know, because I've sinned against you. Very important. And then lastly, number four, renew your mind. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So our mind, and again, this has been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, that what we think really determines the things we feel in a sense. Now, I'm not saying we don't feel things, because we do. They can be externally transferred as well, and then even spiritually. But there's something that happens when we begin to think on the Word of God, you know, that, you know, the Bible says whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good report, think on these things and the God of peace will be with you. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. Now here's the interesting thing, that both good and bad habits as well as negative and positive emotions are created by thinking patterns. Now thinking patterns, patterns actually create what um, neuro neurologists call neural pathways. These neural pathways have memories as well. 
So they become the default basis for our uh, emotional response as well as our behavior when we're faced with a choice or a decision. So in other words, if you're going to change how you feel, you need to change how you think. Begin to think. And so what happens is, you know, if you just try to change your default thinking by saying, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm, I'm not going to think that way. That's not enough. You actually need to transform, in order to experience transformation, it actually requires that new neural pathways are created. And this happens, and they're formed, as a result of developing new patterns of thinking. So let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus, right? Philippians. Let the mind of Christ be in you. Begin to think on what is pure, what is holy, what is right. You know, don't fret, don't worry. Begin to praise God. You know, just cast down those imaginations and thoughts. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 10. When you have a, a thought, a negative thought, maybe fear that enters your mind, you know, cast it down and just begin to worship God and say, no matter what is happening in the natural. I'm not saying go into denial because some things are real in the natural. Whatever is happening in the natural, God is bigger and just worship him and praise him. And you just begin to say, thank you, God. I worship you. I'm not dwelling on the, on the problem. I'm dwelling on you. You're bigger than my problems. And just begin to think in a healthy way, in a positive way. You know, think well of people. Uh, the scripture talks about in 1 Timothy 6, there are people that have these evil suspicions. You know, they're constantly seeing the glass half empty, you know, and then people are like, well, I don't know about this person. They can't trust people. And you just need to begin to trust. You just need to begin to believe. And I'm not talking about people that have done you harm, but I'm just saying, you know, begin to believe the best for people, even if they've done wrong things, even if they're not living righteously. It's just begin to believe that God's going to heal them. God's going to turn them around. And, you know, speak that out. Pray that, of course, but believe that. But begin to think on those things that are positive, that are healthy, um, that cause, you know, fruitfulness in your life. So this is the end of our session on healing the soul. Um, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to actually take time now we're going to go into a small, our small groups, and we're going to pray for one another. We've got some discussion questions that you can go over, but we're also going to pray for one another. And if you need healing in your soul, we're going to believe tonight that Jesus is going to bring that to you. Thank you very much, guys. Bless you. Glenn Blakeney. See you next time. is back at Meyer. This week, buy 10 items, get the 11th free, and get it delivered right to your door with free home delivery on orders of $35 or more. Save on Progresso or Campbell's tomato or chicken noodle soup, Chex Mix, Green Giant frozen vegetables, or Meyer facial tissue. All 10 for $10, get the 11th free. Meyer is here to help you save more and spend less, and with 10 for $10, get the 11th free and free home delivery on orders of $35 or more. You can stock up on everything you need. Exclusions apply. See all the deals in the Meyer app. El todo sea por un beso deal. ¿Ya soñabas con llegar a McDonald's, ordenar tus McNuggets y tu Big Mac de siempre? Con extra pepinillos, extra salsa especial, extra cebolla, porque tú eres así. Extra. 
pero luego recuerdas que estás en una cuarta cita y quizá ordenar cebollas extra no sea la mejor movida. Hay un meal para cada cita en McDonald's. Ordena por anticipado por el app de McDonald's y llévate dos de tus favoritos, como McNuggets de 10 piezas y una Big Mac por solo 6 dólares. Precios y participación pueden variar. Producto individual a precio regular.